Welcome to the Horsewise podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's Christmas episode, I discuss three special gifts I received from horses this holiday season. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. I'd like to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. And in honor of the holiday, I wanted to share a favorite story or two from this month, from December 2021, that has to do with some special horses and the gifts that they gave me. And in my mind, it's linked to Christmas, not only because these stories happened in December, but also because of the idea of the three wise men and the gifts that they brought. So each of these horses, in a way, to me, represents a a wise horse and a gift that they brought me that was very special and meaningful to me during the holiday month. The first story that I'd like to share happened at a 4-H club meeting, a practice ride. As part of Forcewise, I sponsor a horsemanship buckle to reward good horsemanship and teach groundwork with different clubs in the area. So I was at the practice kind of ready to help out if anyone needed some assistance. And there was a super nice family. They had two horses and both horses were a little bit nervous. The horses had been together for many years and the family had acquired them in the last several months. So these horses' relationship with each other had been going on for a long time before the family had them. Again, this family was super nice. They were very committed to the horses. And one of them, the first one that I began working with, had been coming back from a fairly long period of having no exercise at all. So again, they had acquired them in the last several months and they were slowly building this horse back up to fitness. And he was a really just kind-hearted horse, but he was a little bit weak and unsteady on his legs because he didn't have a lot of hindquarter muscle. And he was a gaited horse, so he was especially maybe not so good at bending. So all these things kind of added up, and the horse was a little bit, uh, as I said, unstable and unsteady. So I was showing the family how to do some very simple, what I call horse yoga. And those of you who've worked with me through Horsewise know that I tend to go through a series of kind of classical foundational groundwork movements, lateral flexions, yielding the hindquarter, moving the shoulders, very straightforward things, but things that maybe aren't always taught automatically in riding lessons or normal kind of instruction under saddle. As I began working with the horse, he at first was a little concerned. He wasn't sure what I was asking him to do. And so I really started to break down each little step of each groundwork maneuver that I was asking him to participate in. And pretty quickly he caught on that I was there to help. And he slowly and steadily started to relax and attempt to move his body in these weird yoga positions that I was asking him to do. Meanwhile, his buddy, who was watching very closely, and who was the more nervous of the two horses, the buddy was, that horse started to yawn excessively, lick and chew, yawn, put his head down, very, very relaxed, even though the warm-up ring at the practice was very busy. And he had started out when I first came up to the two horses and their family, being pretty kind of high-headed and looking around. But he was just so relaxed and he kept yawning, as I said, over and over again as I worked with his friend just about five, 10 feet away from him. And I realized that he was, in a sense, picking up on all the things that I was doing with his friend. 
And again, we were fairly close, but also these two horses were very bonded. So they were kind of like best friends, brothers. They weren't actually brothers, but they behaved as if they were best friends and brothers. And so the more nervous horse, the one I wasn't working with, he really picked up on the fact that I was there to help and that his buddy was starting to feel a little bit better about how to move his body differently. So he began, the friend began licking and chewing as if I was working with him too. I found that tremendously moving and very profound. And then when I went to work with that second horse, when I was finished with his friend, that horse was so soft. He was so receptive to everything that I offered him, even though, again, he'd been by far the more nervous of the two horses when I first walked up. And I found that to be such a a significant gift in many ways to me. I took it as a thumbs up for what I was doing, but I also took it as that horse had decided to trust me before I even put my hands on him based on what he felt and saw of me working with his friend. And uh, the, the sensitivity of horses is something that always surprises me. I've worked with horses for a long time now, but the amount of sensitivity that they have for such large animals, many people assume that because they're so large that they're not sensitive, but it, it, the sensitivity is very high. And so I came away from that just feeling, well, first of all, very humbled and grateful for the thumbs up, for the positive Yelp review, so to speak, from the buddy, but also, again, with such admiration for these horses and for what they bring to us. And in many ways, though, we might not even see if we weren't paying attention. The second story I would like to share has to do with a horse that I met at a lesson. The owner had wanted me to work with her horse and with her a little bit on the concept of how to help him through a rehab. The horse had had a rehab issue and was slowly recovering from EPM. And he was recovered, in fact, from EPM, but he was still in that post-recovery phase. And those of you who've worked with EPM horses or who've had an EPM horse know that that can take a while. They can come off with some muscle weakness, some atrophy almost, and a huge loss of confidence, essentially, because their body doesn't quite work the way it used to. With time and strength building, many EPM horses recover pretty close to normal, if not normal for some of them. But the process can be slow and it can require a lot of sensitivity to helping that horse realize that his body can work again the way that it used to, and then helping build specific muscles back up so that the horse can feel that sense of balance again and feel, again, the confidence to keep moving and gaining in strength. Like the two horses in my first story, this horse had an owner that was extremely caring and dedicated who wanted to do whatever it would take to help this horse recover and become a riding horse again. She had required this horse not terribly long, just like the previous family. I think it would have been in the last year. And uh, she was sticking by this horse 100%. You know, some people, maybe if they had purchased a horse and then it got EPM, it's an expensive treatment, and then would have a long recovery period, they might be really frustrated or feel like the horse had let them down in some way. But not this owner. She was all in on whatever this horse would need. At the same time, she didn't have a ton of experience with EPM. And unless you've been through it, it's really hard to have that experience, right? So I took the horse and began working with him during the lesson a little bit. And at first he was, he was a little concerned 
you know, he didn't know me. And again, that lack of confidence, his body, his feet, not sure where his feet were. It's almost to me when I've worked with these horses, I'm not saying this is actually technically accurate from a veterinary perspective, but sometimes they move and behave almost as if their feet are numb, that they can place them on the ground and they know that they can do that, but they're not quite sure of the sensation. They're not quite sure of the ground beneath them, so to speak. So I went very slow with him and wanted to show him again some simple exercises that might help him begin to engage the right muscles, but in a way that would be non-threatening to him, that would not overface him, so to speak, and put him in a situation where he felt like I was trying to trip him or take his balance away. And pretty rapidly, he also decided, like the uh, horse in the first story, that I was probably there to help him out. And he went from being uncertain and concerned to being very receptive and very soft in my hand, so to speak, as I was leading him around. And we ended with walking over some poles. And he got to the point where he would allow me to direct each foot as it was still in the air. And, but again, just complete change from when I first had touched the lead rope and also showing a huge amount of trust in me, which is again, such a huge gift when a horse that I've just met who is impaired from a recovery process decides that I'm okay, right? That I'm, I'm helping him out. This to me is just, again, so special and is very unique to how a horse will offer you not only its heart, but it will offer you its body and allow you to move their body, even though they're weak and they're vulnerable. So I found that extremely moving and a very special gift as well. The third story I have to share with you involves a racehorse, an older racehorse named Jet Set Cat. Jet Set Cat is 12 years old, and he just retired from racing in September. And he came to Lope, the racehorse placement program that I work with on a regular basis. And Jet Set is one of my projects there. So he's a gorgeous horse. He retired sound with clean legs, and he raced 107 times, winning almost $169,000. He came to the program from New York all the way to Texas. Just a really handsome, outstanding athlete. And what's even more amazing is that Jet Set Cat did that with just one eye. He lost his right eye as a baby, and almost all of his racing time at the track, and certainly his competitive career at the track, he did with just one eye. It didn't slow him down, as his record shows, and it's just a remarkable adaptation, in my opinion. Horses that run that long and retire at a later age are called war horses, or in his case, he's actually what's termed an iron horse because of his age and because the number of races are even more spectacular than an average war horse. So very special, as I said. Usually when the war horses come here, they need a lot of decompression time just because they have been running for many years. And it's just typical that they need a little bit of time adjusting to a lifestyle that isn't the track, right? That's in a different environment altogether. That's more laid back. So we usually give them a lot of pasture rest and I will do very simple things with the horse, um, just work on maybe leading, maybe work on ground manners and to the extent possible, do my best to support them in their phase of just being a horse. When they're not used to just being a horse, they're used to being a professional high-performance athlete. One of the most common things that comes up immediately with a war horse off the track is that they tend to have by 
other standards, pretty poor leading manners. They tend to lead really close up on your shoulder. This is because at the track, this is considered uh, looking very flashy and on their toes, which is how they want the horses to look so that the public will bet on them. So right before each race, the horses are led to the saddling paddock where the public can watch them being saddled. And there's still a window of time that the public can bet on the horses before the race starts. So they want the horses to look feisty. And as again, as I said, on their toes, meaning that they're kind of leading right on top of the handler. And the other thing too, is that at the track, you know, if you're a racehorse, you're taught essentially to lean into pressure on the jockeys who are incredible athletes themselves. They don't have their seat on the saddle so much. The stirrups are more or less little pedestals and they do a lot of their kind of steering and guiding and even aids to, you know, run to lean into the bit with the reins. So a racehorse's interpretation of pressure and how to respond to it does tend to be a little bit different than your average riding horse. And of course, with a war horse, you can, you know, multiply that by many times over because they've been at the track so much longer than the average racehorse. Sometimes war horses coming right off the track can be a little bit nervous about going through gates, uh, particularly if you only have one eye, as Jet Set Cat does. So this was something we'd been kind of working on in this quiet way. You know, even during pasture time, vacation time here, we still have to lead them in and out of gates. They still go in and out of the barn periodically. They might lead them around, get, let them hand graze a little bit, see some of the facility, and just kind of work on, hey, we do it differently now than at the track. You know, we lead a little differently. And this was something that Jet Set was making progress on. It was, it was a little harder for him in some ways because of the one eye. So his left eye was the one that he did have, the right eye was missing. And as you lead a horse from the left, you know, normally you don't want the horse to turn his nose to the right because then the rest of his body can rapidly follow. You want the nose to be tipped slightly toward you instead. But Jet Set needs to look to the right a lot because he can't see on the right side. So he needs to turn his nose and look to the right with his left eye a little bit so he can take in more visually for that side. So there was just a lot of things that he and I were working on together and he didn't understand why I didn't have a chain. That's what he was used to at the track. He didn't understand why I didn't want him to lead right up on top of me. I was really weird that way. He didn't quite understand that. And when horses don't understand something that has been part of their life that's been normal, they can get agitated. They can get a little nervous and concerned. And the war horses often will get a little agitated and concerned when they're in this early phase of learning how to lead a little differently. And Jet Set Cat was no different. Very intelligent horse, very, again, sensitive and really wanting to figure things out. But where he'd been and how he was used to doing things meant even more to him because he only had one eye. So he was very used to adapting to a certain environment and it had changed entirely, as had the rules about leading. So when we would go through gates, this would really come up more. I think, you know, gates a little bit of a narrower opening. How they go through a gate is very important, can tell you a lot about their relationship with people, but also their ability to bend, their ability to yield a hindquarter, things like that. It becomes pretty apparent going through a gate. So Jet Set and I, we, we spent some time practicing going through the gates and he was steadily getting a little more relaxed, a little bit more um, comfortable with it, but still had some tension and concern. 
And of course, he was protective of his right side, the one that was blind. That was just something that made a lot of sense to me. You know, he can't see. He, again, he's used to the environment being a very specific way. He'd been at the track for so long. The environment's changed. He's not sure how to assess things on that side anymore. So I noticed that he was particularly, as made sense, you know, touchy and defensive about his right side. Well, one day I had led him out to have lunch out in a different part of the facility. He could still see some pasture buddies, but I thought it would be good to kind of change things up a little bit. So we went out to another part of the facility and he was munching on his alfalfa at the end of the lead rope. And our neighbors started to make a lot of noise next door. Earlier that week, they had been basically, they had a skit loader out there. They were taking down some shrubbery and cedar. It was pretty noisy. And Jet said in his pasture had gotten a little concerned about it and had been pacing and whatnot. But they had been quiet for several days. So when I led him out to again, have lunch in this new picnic setting, you know, picnic setting a different part of the facility, it seemed like it was going to be good timing. But of course, as these things go, the best laid plans can kind of go the wrong direction unexpectedly. As I was starting to lead him back and to go through the gate, which of course is still a little bit of a delicate process for Jet Set Cat, sure enough, the neighbors immediately started up with their construction work. And it, it was loud, and um, there was some gunfire going on as well. I don't think it had anything to do with the construction, but it was a nice weekend day, and so sometimes in Texas, people like to target shoot. That's normal. But those two things together, right at the time we were coming to the gate, well, that was pretty concerning to Jet Set. And at that point, he'd been with us you know, several weeks, and he and I were getting to know each other pretty well. But he was the kind of horse who's a little bit reserved. You know, he's kind of not as easy maybe to to read. He's not super obviously affectionate. He, again, plays things kind of close to the vest, so to speak. So we're approaching the gate, and, and he's really anxious at this point and getting pretty troubled about things. And we both stopped, and we're doing our best to think it through for each other. He didn't want to run through me. He knew that that was no longer how we do things, right? And um, But at the same time, he really needed to move his feet, and he was super, super concerned about that sound. And I slowed down because I wanted to break it down a little bit for him. I didn't want to rush him through that process. I was thinking what would be a way to do something together with his feet that would help relax him but not make him feel like I was forcing him to go right to the gate if he needed to do something else. So we both, it was funny, we both literally paused at the same time and we're kind of considering the options. And, uh, and the construction noise started up again and um, he had been, obviously I've been leading him on the left side, but while we had kind of taken a pause and were thinking, I was facing him and he was, you know, a little bit of ways on the lead rope, kind of pondering. And uh, at that moment, that noise started up again. I instinctively kind of turned toward it to make sure like that no one was going to be coming through the fence actually, right? Because it was pretty close. And at that moment, as I did that, I was sort of putting myself slightly between him, Jet Set Cat, and the noise. And he kind of looked at me and very carefully angled himself. He kind of tucked his nose to the right and he angled himself so that his right side was next to my left shoulder. In other words, he sort of went into a position where he allowed me to protect him. 
Now, this was a really small gesture. This was not like some flamboyant thing. Like you'd have to really know this horse a little bit to know, understand the significance of it. But it was a big deal. It was one of the first times he had actually voluntarily put himself so that his right side was to me. And he had done it in a moment where he was very anxious. And, uh, and there were plenty of other options for him. He could have danced around me. He could have spun off or tried to get away or all kinds of things, you know, could have come up for him. But in that moment, he decided that he was going to kind of tuck his nose to the right and sidestep over so that I was in his blind side and he was seeing me as a form of safety, protection. Well, this was really just such a huge moment. And again, though, if you'd been looking from a distance, it wouldn't have looked like anything much, but it was a big deal. It was a huge turning point in the relationship. And again, such a gift that he would do that in a moment of distress, particularly. All three of these stories, in my mind, have something in common. It wasn't just that each of the horses in different ways decided to trust me. It's more that each of their gestures, each of their actions were extremely small and subtle if you didn't know what to look for. So the gifts, they were very valuable. They were very significant. They represented the horse giving its trust to me in the form of its blind side or its feet or its willingness to go with me. But each of the gestures were done in very quiet, small ways. And if you didn't pay attention, you might completely miss those gestures. You might completely run over them, so to speak. And that would be such a huge loss to not be able to recognize what was being offered in those small moments. So for me, the, the combined theme is that the smallest gifts are often the biggest gifts to the horses. And if we can change our awareness and also slow down and recognize that the small things mean the most, what a gift that would be that we could give to the horse in return. Many times horses offer these gifts, but they aren't acknowledged. And because they aren't acknowledged in every respect, that means they aren't truly received. And then the horses stop offering them. So I would just like for this Christmas that we all go home and work with our horses a little bit in the coming weeks as the new year starts soon enough and that we do our best to see those small gifts and to acknowledge them and thank the horses for their trust. Have a Merry Christmas and a wonderful new year. And as always, I thank you for listening and I look forward to more discussions with you in 2022. At HorseWise, I teach you the horsemanship tools to work with your horse in a more meaningful way. If you'd like more information on my services, please go to horsewisecoach.com.